It's a grueling 10 days. It's an exhausting beginning, middle, and an end. If you've been involved in the process of tshuva over the course of the month that precedes Rosh Hashanah, you're now at your 40-something day, right? You're close. You're in a pretty intensive introspection. You've been looking at your life. You've been asking yourself and your friends, where are my blind spots? Where can I rewrite my story? Trying to wake up a little bit more in the language of my own teacher, Rab Zalman, whose daughter, upon waking one day, said, Ab, I know that I woke up, but can I wake up even more now that I'm awake? Chuva <laughs> is the process of waking up a little bit more. And so it is, it's a long haul, it's a marathon. It's intense, it's funny, it's sad, it's gut-wrenching, it's heartbreaking, it's exhilarating, it's never-ending. And here we are at the Shabbat, that is the first Shabbat of the year, Shabbat Shuvah. Every year the first Shabbat of the year is called the Shabbat of Returning. As if to amplify the tension between renewal itself and returning and this process that we consider repentance, which is much more than that, to narrowly focus tshuva on particular misdeeds or misactions is to in some way miss the whole point of tshuva. Tshuva, which means to return, isn't just an individual moment of contrition, remorse, regret, making amends. It isn't only the eighth step of the 12-step program. In our tradition, tshuva kadmale olam. Tshuva was created before the world itself was created, according to the rabbis, in their way of framing what they thought tshuva meant. It's much bigger, it's broader, it's the whole world is tshuva-ing. The whole world is tshuva-ing. It is returning, it is completing itself, it is getting, hopefully, bending its arc, as it were, towards the just. Tshuva is that incremental gradation of incline in the world towards the great ascent. A little bit. And so here we are on the Shabbat between Rosh Hashanah and Kippur, named the Shabbat of returning. And thinking about return, we are poised between the birth of the world in Rosh Hashanah and the death of the world in Yom Kippur. Yeah? The theme of Rosh Hashanah is birth. The theme of Yom Kippur is a rehearsal for our death. And the seven days in between is a day for a decade. In an archetypal 70-year life, each day that is between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur is a chance to look at each one of our decades. And as I said last night at the JCC, some of us are going to be looking back, some of us are looking forward. Either way, we're in our 40s tonight. <laughs> and this particular Rosh Hashanah, which falls on a Tuesday, whenever Rosh Hashanah falls on either a Tuesday or Monday, Monday or Tuesday, the parsha that coincides the reading from the Torah that coincides with Shabbat Shuvah is Parshat Vayelech. It's the shortest parsha in the Torah. It's usually coupled together with the parsha that preceded it last week, Nitzavim. Vayelech is all of one chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Just one chapter, 30 verses long. Chapter 31. And in it, basically, just as we are preparing ourselves for the mock death that is Yom Kippur, tomorrow morning's Torah reading will have Moses preparing for his own death. 
There's a whole body of literature, Midrashei Pitirat Moshe, that talks about Moshe, the great leader, the great teacher, bargaining with God to have one more day on earth. He says, what can I trade? I'm willing to be second in command to Joshua. I'm willing not to have any position. I'll do anything to get on the boat that goes in to the promised land, anything. Just give me a chance. It's, the pathos is so rich, it's so beautiful. And then later on in the Parsha, which is not very far, a couple of verses later, we have the final two commandments of the Torah. I'll tell you what they are in a second, but listen to this. The Midrash paints a picture where in the beginning of the Parsha, Moses goes out to the people, and he goes out to the people, and the Midrash asks, wouldn't it be more appropriate that the great leader of the Jewish people would come to meet, right? They would come to meet him and not him going out to meet them? So the Midrash says, you know, they knew that he had unfinished business that he had to finish. And they knew that if he went, if they went to him, he would finish his business and then he would be done. And they wanted him to stay around, so they kind of did, they avoided seeing him. Because they didn't want him to finish his business. They didn't want to pick up the phone. So he went to them, he knocked on the door, and he said, I have two final mitzvot to give you, and then I'm done. My work is done. The two mitzvot are mitzvot hakel, which is the gathering of the entirety of the Jewish people in the seventh year of a Shemitah cycle to hear Torah chanted out loud. And the other mitzvah, which is the last mitzvah of the Torah, does anybody know what it is? It's the writing of a Sefer Torah. The Torah's last commandment to B'nai Israel, to the children of Israel, is to write your own Torah. And to this day, I know people who fulfill this mitzvah. It's very important for them to write a Torah in their life. How do they do that? Not everyone is a scribe. Not everyone has gone to scribal school. If you write just one letter in the Torah, you fulfilled your mitzvah. You fulfilled that obligation to write a Torah. Just one letter. So often, at the conclusion of a Torah scribe, like the introduction of a Torah into a community, the scribe will sit there with his quill and allow people to hold the quill with his hand and they'll write the letter. So how does this relate to Shuvah? Last night at the JCC, I shared a story that I'm going to share in depth tomorrow during the Lunch and Learn. But there's a story in the Talmud that says that there was once a great rabbi who was walking along the road and he was very full of himself that he had learned Torah. He was full of Torah. He just came back from a big Torah retreat, a Torah seminar. He was up at Elad Chaim, Isabella Friedman. He was up in Omega. He was really full of himself, right? He was Maleva Gadush. He had so much Torah coming out. And he was riding along on a donkey and he saw an ugly man. And the Talmud relates that this rabbi who was full of Torah turned to the ugly man and said, look how ugly is this man. I'm not going to tell you the whole story. But suffice to say that that ugly man had a very good response. <laughs> and in his response to the rabbi who had insulted him, the rabbi immediately realized that he had done something absolutely wrong. He felt contrite, he felt regret, he felt remorse. He came off of his donkey and he apologized profusely, 
But the man who had been insulted would not hear the rabbi's contrition. He didn't want anything to do with it whatsoever. And so he walked, they walked a long way until they came to the city of the rabbi. And upon approaching the city of the rabbi, all of the city people came out of the city to meet this great rabbi. And they started yelling, great rabbi, great master. And the insulted man, the ugly man, stood there saying, who are you calling rabbi? Who are you calling master? And they said, oh, this is the great rabbi David Ingram. Have you heard? You know who he is? Oh, he's great. He's great. He's terrific. He's terrific. He gives a oh, great sermons. Great. And you know what he said? He said, may there not be many like him in Israel. This is what he said to me. And they implored him to forgive this great rabbi, and he did. And the great rabbi, upon receiving the forgiveness, went out and taught this teaching. He said, one should always be soft and flexible like a reed and not hard like a cedar tree. Because of the flexibility of the reed, the quill, it merited to become the instrument for the writing of Torah. Because of the reed's flexibility, it became the instrument that merited to be the instrument of scribing the perfect Torah. The Torah, the Torah Tashem Klima, the perfect Torah. Everybody, this is one of the most amazing stories ever. It means that the instrument that in the story is the metonym, it's the stand-in for forgiveness, for mistakes, for boo-boos, for cracks where light get, it gets in, for all of those things in our lives where we made a big mess where we said the wrong thing, when we walked the wrong walk, we talked the wrong talk. We didn't, we could have, we should have, we would have, we might have. That becomes the instrument for writing Torah. The instrument for writing this Torah is to remind us to be as flexible as a reed, that forgiveness is the avenue for the writing of Torah. Torah comes out of that quill. And that when you hold that quill and then you fulfill the obligation to write a Torah, you are essentially saying, in my hand I hold the flexibility to bend with life. Yeah? Does that make sense? In a Torah that is beginning to end, if one letter of the Torah is missing, it's not complete. But the quill that writes it has to be flexible. The quill that writes life has to be flexible. If we are to fulfill the mitzvah of writing a Torah, we have to be flexible and soft. Often when we think of courage, when we think of what it takes to get through life, what it takes to do difficult things, we think of hardness. We think of gathering strength. We think of lifting our chests up and puffing it and not softening and lowering. In the Tao Te Ching, the great text of Taoism, there's a verse that says, the soft overcomes the hard, the slow overcomes the fast. What would it be if you and I and everyone here were to fulfill the mitzvah of writing a Torah by asking ourselves, how flexible am I? How, how bendable am I? I know for myself that when I get into a fight with my wife, I'm about, I, I look like one of those cedars of Lebanon. That's basically the way that I look. 
the posture of flexibility invites us to say, if I'm rooted sufficiently, then I can bend. It takes great courage and strength to be flexible. It takes great courage and strength to be forgiving. It takes great courage and strength to ask for forgiveness upon knowing that we've made a mistake. Torah is written by the quill of imperfection. There can't be any greater bracha than that. So I ask you, we have a couple of days till Yom Kippur. I don't want to finish the sermon until we take a moment. Who needs to be forgiven in your life? Who do you need to forgive? And don't tell me yourself, because that's a given. Right? The, the work begins here, but it doesn't end here. If this is the last person you forgive right here, that's not tshuva. And if this is the last person you ask for forgiveness, that's not tshuva either. Because we can't go through life without making mistakes. It's just impossible. The first one who made mistakes was God. That's sacrilegious. But the Midrash says very clearly that God created worlds and then destroyed them. God was just busy trying to get it right. That looks like the world. No, that's not it. Uh, that, maybe that, uh, no, that one's not it. We even have traditions that say that there are many Torot. So on this exhausting Shabbat, in a hot, sweaty Bikram shul, from a rabbi who has had like six hours of sleep in the last four days, I want to ask you all, in the remaining days between now and Yom Kippur, you already had homework from Rosh Hashanah, to write your story in a different way, to touch the places of tenderness, to choose the bruise and enter into painful places, to have humility around things that we don't know and the invisible gorillas in the room. And I give you a fifth piece of homework as we get closer to that day. Where are the boo-boos that need to be patched? Where are the letters that need to be filled in? Where is the quill? Find the quill, find that flexible place and merit to write the Torah of this year through the posture of, I'm sorry. That's the work. That's all I have to say.